Good morning, Oasis. Glorious day. He's given us another one. Amen. Um, we had uh, a great time last last week going over Romans five one through eleven. Today we're going to pick up with verse twelve. But really, the the theme is it's in your it's in your bulletin is in the first Adam. In the first Adam, we find death. In the first Adam, we find sin and death. But in the second Adam, we find life. We find salvation in life. And really, this. Um, but really what I want you to see, what's going to be going, we're not going to get it all done today. Today we're going to talk about the first Adam. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the second Adam. But what I want you to see is it's an incredible contrast is what we're going to see here. It's a contrast between what happened with the first Adam and what it brought into this world, being sin and death. And then it's a beautiful transition. We're going to go next week into the second Adam where he brought life through salvation. And that's what Paul's doing here. Now I warn you that this is, these verses we're going to be looking at in Romans chapter 5 are some of the most uh, demanding t- verses in the whole book of Romans. And I say that because not everybody in the uh, Christian world has agreed on the interpretation of some of these verses. So we're going to have to dig into a little theology here. I'm going to share a few different views with you as we go through this, and then I'll tell you what the right view is. <laughs> I'll tell you the view that we believe here at the Oasis and why we believe it. And uh, so we'll share a little bit of that. But also, even though there's some complicated things in here that aren't clearly understood, and you know, we see that throughout the Bible, there's certain things we're not going to fully understand un- until we get to the other side of heaven, amen? amen. But, but the good news is, is there's some clear teaching in, in, uh, in the Word of God that we can apply in our lives today. And we'll see that in these scriptures too, but just wanted to set that up. And we'll get into those a little bit. I'll try not to bore you too much with the different views, but at least we have to look at them. So first, before we jump into the text, it's really uh, being set up by last week's text, so I have to review that with you briefly. I have it in your handout, but let me just go over it. It's such a wonderful text, I don't mind reviewing it again. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11. And if you remember what we talked about last week, is there's many things we could talk about to prove that the tomb was empty. Do you remember that? It was a long time ago. But how we could prove the tomb is empty. We could talk about things like the historical documents. We talked about that. We could look at not only the the Bible, but we could look at the Jewish documents, historical documents. We could even look at the Romans documents to see that the tomb was empty. We could also talk about the 500 eyewitnesses that saw the resurrected Lord as a point of proof that the tomb was empty. We could talk about the missing body and the great missing, uh, the, the, the rumors and lies that went around about the missing body. We could also talk about that most of the apostles died because they believed that the Lord had been risen. They were martyred for their faith. But we didn't talk about any of that last week on Easter. What did we talk about? We talked about the undeniable, not the physical evidence, but the undeniable spiritual evidence that the Lord is risen. And if you're sitting here today and you're a born-again believer, you know the tomb is empty by what is within you. Amen? And, and look, we went over seven incredible proofs out of, that, out of the, uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11. The first one is that when we were born again, if you're sitting here and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you entered into peace with God. Do you remember that? Do you remember that time in your life? I don't care if you're young or old, but you, you, I, we didn't even realize that we were born enemies of God. We didn't realize that we were born on the battlefield of life and we were serving Satan, but at some point in our life, 
God opened our eyes, we cried out to God, and we were saved. And in that moment, there was a peace of God that we had. We were no longer enemies. We were adopted into the family of God. We became children of God, right? And we became his kids. And we had that peace that lives within us. The second thing is that we saw in the Scripture, it's right here, is that we have, now have access to God. Remember we talked about how hard it was in the Old Testament, between the Holy of Holies, that the, the high priest could go in there once a year and they had to tie a rope on him so if he died they could pull him out. Access to God was very, very limited until Jesus came. And then he tore the curtain from top to bottom and now we have access to God. You can talk to God all day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Unlimited access to God. We take it for granted, but the Jews didn't have that. We have that as born-again believers in Christ. That is proof that the tomb is empty. What was the third one? The glory of God. Thank you, Leon. appreciate that. The glory of God. Remember, we have glory now living within us, but yet we're promised that we're going to be fully glorified when we get to heaven. That's proof that the tomb is empty. Now, now look at these three. I'm going to remind you this. This is such a great truth. I, I got it. can't skip over this. The fact that we have peace with God takes care of our present situation is no longer do we face the penalty of sin. Do you remember that? And the second one is that we have access to God. It helps us with our current situation, right? Living for God because the power of sin has no longer has control over us. We don't answer to that. And the third one is glorification, which we all look forward to when we get to heaven. We will no longer be in the presence of sin. So the penalty of sin, the present time presence of sin now the power and the third one i'm sorry the third one is the presence of sin we won't be in the presence of it anymore so those are three of the great truths that show the tomb is empty the next one is the fourth one was that even in our suffering god accomplishes great work in us and through us and proves the tomb is empty Remember that verse out of Romans? It says our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope will not disappoint us. Before we were Christians, did we suffer for a purpose? No, we didn't suffer for a purpose. But now that we are born again believers, our suffering even has purpose in God as He transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. I, I prayed, I challenged you last week, but you should be looking over your life a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. You should be a different person over time as God continues to refine you and sanctify you, right? That is another positive proof that the tomb is empty. He's changing you. He's molding you. The next one is that we've been filled with the love of God by the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you sense the love of God living within you? And the next one is that we've been saved from the wrath of God. It said if, God, if Christ did this in his death, just think what he'll do with us in his resurrection. As he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us, and it's the proof that our salvation is secure. And the last, the seventh one, is that we've been reconciled with God. I'm sorry, I just can't get over the fact that the God of the, you know, if you look at other religions, if you've ever studied other religions, they have nothing what we have. I mean, isn't it amazing that we have a God that not only saves us from our sins, delivers us and gives us all those other things I just told you, peace, access, and everything else, but he's a God that wants to be in an intimate relationship with us. Doesn't that blow you away? That God is sitting there every morning waiting to meet with you. If you look at the other, the other religions, I mean, they don't even know if they're on the right side or the wrong side of God. 
They don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. They're always in this dilemma. They're trying to, all of them are works-based type religions. We don't have a faith like that. We've God says, I've, I've proven to you that you're born again. I've given you peace and access and glory and I've filled you with love and I want to meet with you every day. Is there any doubt that the tomb is empty? So we'll pick up there. If you'd open your Bibles, we'll pick up right where we left off. We'll go to Romans 5, verse 12. If you'd open your Bibles, Romans 5, verse 12. And our brother's going to open the Word for us. If you'd please stand in honor of God's Word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. I'm going to share with you how I'd like you to try to picture this as we get into this new text today. Is the way I, I see this is that you know Paul Paul's writing writing this letter to the Roman church, and uh, he's been sharing incredible truths to, to the Roman church about all are guilty, right? No no one's with excuse. And then he got into the fact that that uh, you know. We're all the same and that we're born spiritually dead. And, and we got to that point, remember in the gospel, where it seemed like everything was hopeless. And then it's as if Jesus stood up in the courtroom and said, but God, there's a, there's a salvation, a justification apart from the law. And then we saw these great proofs that live within every believer that Jesus has risen from the dead and the tomb is empty. And then it's almost, now picture this, it's almost as he said, okay, now listen, you know, this letter you're writing to is going to a lot of Gentiles. It's pre- predominantly a Gentile audience that's receiving this letter from the Romans. And he's, it's almost like he stops in the middle of this great gospel presentation and said, you've got to go back and tell them how this thing got started. You've got to go back and tell them they don't, they've never read Genesis. They don't have the Old Testament. I want you to go back and talk, tell them exactly how we got into this predicament where the world is full of sin and then tell them how that compares with the new life that comes in Christ. Can you picture that? So it's kind of like we stop here in the middle of the gospel and we go back to do this historical review of how this whole thing started to happen. Does that make sense? So he goes back and goes back all the way to Adam to share what's going on. So let's go to to verse 12 here. We'll start with this. I'm only going to go through a few verses today, but we'll dig into them thoroughly here. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as. You see, he's going to make a comparison. We won't see the other part of the just as until next week when we pick up at verse 15. But therefore, just as, what does it say? Sin came into the world through one man. Sin came into the world through one man. The the first thing I want you to see here is it doesn't say that Adam was responsible for the creation of sin. He is not the origin of sin. Is that what it says there? No, it says it came into the world through one man named Adam. Where did sin originate from? Satan, thank you. Lucifer first, but afterwards being renamed to Satan. 
Let me just show you a few scriptures so everybody understands where sin came from. Now, we all know this, that God created all things, and they were glorious and perfect in every way. Amen? A perfect world, a perfect creation. And, and one part of this creation was obviously the spiritual beings, the angelic host. Now, there's so many angels that, they're, they're, that you can't, they can't be numbered, the Bible tells us. There's so many they can't be numbered. And so, even as God created the angelic beings, these spiritual beings, He did it with great glory and perfection. And as we read the Bible, we see there was an incredible order to the, to the angelic army, if you will. He had generals and, and corporals and sergeants, and everybody was given different powers and different gifts and different responsibilities within the kingdom of God. And that's very clear in the Word of God. But above all of them, He appointed Lucifer. Lucifer was the angel over all these angel beings. He, and, and we see some of the descriptions of him here. He said it, was, it said it was a seal of perfection. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's what Lucifer was in God's creation. But also within Lucifer was this issue of free will. And within that will, it got to be a self-will. And he started to elevate himself and think more highly of himself. And look at here, look at this next scripture. This is, this is what it says was in his heart. It says, he said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Do You see, I want you to, to see this, that God didn't create sin, but God created the circumstances where sin could be created through the will of, in this case, Lucifer, and out of his will desiring to be the same temptation that was in the Garden of Eden. Don't you want to be like God? Lucifer got that into his heart because he's leading worship, he's leading the angelic host, and within him, sin entered into his heart, and he wanted to elevate himself to be equal with God. In fact, if you read the Scripture, really above God, above the clouds of God. That's where sin originated from. Sin originated in, in Lucifer, who is renamed Satan. And then we see the good news there. Even at that moment, he thought he had victory. But we go all the way back to Isaiah 14 here, and it says that, but you brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So he was, uh, he was judged at that point. So back to the texture. So sin came into the world through one man, was created by Lucifer through his free will. But we all know the story, right? I mean, let's just review it. We know the story of the garden. But So here they were uh, in this abundance, right, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. I mean, you've got to picture this. They, here's God walking around the garden. You can eat this. You can, here's, here's apples. Here's, here's pineapples. Here's plums. Here's grapes. Here's bananas. Here's cashews, here's pistachios, here's... I mean, just think of all the abundance of food that was in the garden. We see parts of it now in this fallen world. And he's walking them through. It probably took days walking them through the garden of all the different foods they could eat and enjoy. And then he goes, but here's the one do not. This is the one tree. You, everything else you can have your way with. This one tree you can't eat from this one tree. And what was the tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? This is the one tree he was not allowed to, do, to eat from. And we know what happened. 
Satan shows up, he tempts them, and at that moment, they sinned, they disobeyed the one do not they had, that was the only law they had from God, and sin came into the world. Now as a side note, just so the men understand, why was Adam responsible? I hear men always saying, well, didn't Eve do it first, and wasn't Eve the one that sinned, and all that? Guys, the reality is, first of all, the command was given to Adam before Eve was created. It was never given directly to Eve. And secondly, he was a spiritual leader of the family. If you read this text, he was standing there with her in the garden, and he let that happen. So he's responsible because the command was given to him, and he's a spiritual leader of the family, which all the men are as well. You are held responsible for your own family as spiritual leaders. Amen. So that's how sin came into the world. Which is really hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to believe because we don't know what it's like to live without a sinful nature. Living in perfection with a perfect spouse. Ladies will say amen to that. We don't know what it's like to live with a perfect spouse. Uh, intimacy with God, walking with Him in the garden, yet the one do not, He, he sinned. You know, but as I, I kind of meditated on this, uh, we don't know what that's like, but i got to challenge you here. Are, are you not amazed at your own thoughts, your own words, your own deeds? It, doesn't it amaze you? H- how about a reoccurring sin pattern in your life where the temptation comes and you've already been down that road, I don't care how many times, yet you still give in in that same area of your life? Amen? I think we can picture how this might have happened to, to Adam and Eve. Just by looking at our own, the power of temptation in our life. The power of Satan, the power of sin in our own lives. We can see how he too would have, uh, we too would have fallen into this. Now, here's an important truth here I want to tell you is that, does it say sin? Up here, does it say sins came into the world or sin came into the world? Sin, yeah. It's an important truth that we have to, to understand is it is a singular sin came into the world. A sinful nature entered the world. It's important we understand the difference here. I mean, the only way I can help you understand it, it's like a change in our DNA. Something happened molecularly within us that a sin nature entered into our souls and lived within us. A virus. Yeah, I was thinking of a cancer. Ralph said a virus comes within us and it lives there. And so the reality is it's, it's an ingrained disease that lives within us which is called sin so the question is do we sin because we're sinners or do are we sinners because we sin thank you the first one we were we're sinners sin lives within us and that's why we sin it's that disease that lives within all of us does that make sense yeah so sinners don't make us sinners Sins don't make us sinners. Sin lives within us. It's the chicken and the egg here. Okay, so let's, let's look at the next. Look at this. This is just a proof of that, what I'm just talking about. I love this verse, Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false tent- testimony, and slander. It's because that sin lives within us that we're sinners. You know, I, I hear some brothers telling me, uh, they have a disease called alcoholism. Or I have a disease called drug addiction. Or I have a, I have a unique DNA. I was born with homosexual tendencies. 
okay? That's a lie of the devil. None of those are true. Now, let me tell you, you know why? It's worse than that. It's worse than the fact that you think you're born as an alcoholic or you're born homosexual. The reality is we're all born with that cancer called sin. And it, it, it manifests itself different ways in all of us, but the real disease is not alcoholism, drug addiction, or homosexuality. The real disease is sin that lives within us. And you've got to come to grips with that. Otherwise, the devil will trick you and deceive you and lead you into thinking you, you, you're unhelpable. See, if, you, if I got cancer and the doctor said, hey, there's nothing we can do. You've got six months to live. It's over. Right? It's done. If I start believing the lie of the devil that I have alcoholism, it's part of my DNA, and there's really nothing I can do about it, you get into a helpless state, and the devil's got you trapped, and he deceives you down to death, which is where sin leads you. But if you get to the reality of the truth that what lives within you is sin, then there's hope in Jesus Christ. Because that's what, that's what he can deliver you from. Sorry about that. But okay. I forgot it was Kid Sunday here. It's okay. We good? All right. And look what came with this. So just as uh, so, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. Now look, look here, brothers and sisters. God warned Adam. I don't want you to think he was ignorant to this fact. Look at, up here is Genesis two fifteen and seventeen. The Lord took the man Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, "You are free. Here we are walking around the garden. You are free to eat from." any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat up from it, you will what? You will certainly die. So, so Adam knew the consequences of his sin before he ever ate from the forbidden tree. And, and that's why death through sin. Now, did Adam instantly die when he ate the forbidden fruit? Now, I want you to hear this. It's a, this will be the main topic today, but there's three types of death in Scripture. Right? There's three types of death. One is physical death. The second one is spiritual death. And the third one is eternal death. All three are listed within the Word of God. And so let me show you here. And I want you to understand this, that really the word death, when you think of the word death, really what it means is to be separated. To be separated. Okay, it's a separation. So look here, the first one, by the way, I just wanted to show you that eventually Adam did die. Uh, Genesis 5 says, altogether, Adam lived a total of what? 930 years. And then he died. I'm hoping to get 77 in there. 930, that's something else, huh? That's a lot of great, 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 great grandkids. But he died. And see, now when I say separated, what happened when he died physically or when anybody dies physically? Separated from life, you're separated from our body, right? Our body goes to, to the grave, we're separated, our spirit remains, our soul remains, but we're separated. We're also separated from loved ones. I mean, that's the hard part about physical death, is being separated from children, grandchildren, family, friends, right? So there's a separation that takes place at physical death. You know, I... I bet you, well, we'll talk about this later. The second death. Look at this, what happened to Adam and, and Eve. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of day, and the man 
and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What type of death would this be? Spiritual death. See, they were, do you remember? I mean, they look forward to their walk in the garden with God. They were intimate with God. I mean, they were, they were one with God, but after they sinned, when they heard God, they ran and hid from him because they had been separated from him by their sins. And that's the reality. If anybody has not been born again, because we're born spiritually dead, they're born, we're all born separated from God spiritually. It's only through the second birth that we're reunited spiritually to God when we confess our sins, see the holiness of God, and we're saved, then we're spiritually alive. And the worst part of it, the third one, we see here in Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into internal, eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The third is a permanent separation from God or a permanent unity for those that are saved. Now look, look here and, and see then death entered here and, this, and the next part of this verse says, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you know, I guess there's probably some of you here that really haven't even contemplated the reality of physical death. Maybe you're young and it's the last thing on your mind. It seems so far away from you that you haven't even really thought about the reality that someday you will die physically. And there's others here that because of our bodies telling us the reality of death, right? The age of our bodies or maybe just doing some simple math, we may be more conscious, conscious of the fact that we are going to be facing physical death. But how many of us are going to face physical death? 100%. It's a pretty, pretty uh, overwhelming fact that there's no doubt. There's a few in the Bible that were two in the Bible that were not. But generally speaking, unless there's a rapture, we're all going to face physical death. And that's tragic. Don't get me wrong. Facing that, dealing with that, saying goodbyes, there's a lot of hardships and death. But spiritual death is obviously much more significant. Because if you're sitting here today and you're not one with Christ and you die, that means you go to spend eternity separated from God. So physical death is demanding and as is, is devastating as it could be, it's nothing compared to someone that's spiritually dead. And I tell you this because that's, that's why we have our once a month outreach. Our, our heart should be breaking for those that don't know Christ so that we can share the gospel so that, so that some might be saved. Amen? That should be the burden of our hearts as we go around to have that, that vision of people spiritually dead and right now heading to hell. And I can't think of anything worse. That's bad. Okay, so we're getting physical death is bad, spiritual death is, is bad, but eternal death, someone that's going to be forever separated from God without hope, I can't even imagine how awful that would be. So that should drive us to the gospel, brothers and sisters. That should drive us to be sharing the gospel with the lost world. You know, well, I'll get to an application on that later. I'll save it for them. Now let's get into one of these tough uh, theological questions here briefly, which is, it says here, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see that? And this is where different religious faiths don't 
Christian faiths don't agree with what that means. It does not mean because we all sin physically, which is a truth, obviously. We do all sin, but it's, it's, that's not what this is saying. It's talking about that we all sinned in Adam. Now, let me, let me go over the four views with you briefly. Let me give you four different views on this issue, because all sinned, and then again, I'll tell you what the right one is. One view is that people incur death when they sin after Adam's example. That's what they think this verse is talking about. That sin affected Adam alone. They believe that. They said no one is affected by Adam's sins. Does that make sense to you? No. By the way, that's Unitarians that believe that. Still on this earth, they believe that, that, uh, that theology. How about this one? The second one is all people consent to Adam's sin, then sin is imputed upon them. Adam sinned and partially affected humanity. So they believe that depravity is not total. People received corrupt nature from Adam, but not guilt or accountability. Does that make sense? Come on, you've got to pick one here. I've got four. No? Anybody want to pick that one? Just, I'm just telling you the denominations that believe that is Methodists, Wesleyans, Pentecostals, and holiness groups. Ready for the third one? Third one. Uh, sin is imputed on humanity because of Adam's sin. Adam alone sinned, but human race, but human race was affected. Depravity is total. Sin and guilt are imputed. Does that make sense? Okay. It's, it's really close. There's just one slight difference between the next one, and I can see why a lot of you might say yes. The people that believe that are Presbyterians and others that hold to the covenant theology. Now there's a fourth one. This is the right one. This is the Augustinian view, Calvin view. Sin is imputed, sin is imputed to humanity because of Adam's sin. Humanity sinned in Adam. See, that's the difference right there. In, in the covenant theology, they were affected by Adam's sin, and, and the Augustinian view is that we sinned in Adam. You with me? Okay. okay. Amen, brother. We'll get to that. That's good, Leon. I know you get it. Depravity is total. That's the same. Sin and guilt are imputed. And again, the people that believe that are Reformers and, and Calvinists and, and others. So I just want to make sure you understand what this means. It means that when Adam was there sinning, and I'll show you a text to kind of prove this, when he was there sinning, inside of Adam was all the seeds of the future generations. And those seeds of the future generations were responsible for the sin themselves as Adam sinned before a holy God. And you're thinking, what in the world is this? But that's why it's complicated. That's why there is an agreement. But let me show you a verse that we can support that. And I can tell you another thing that happens if you don't, don't agree with this. So look at Hebrews 7, 9, and 10. We'll get back to practical application in just a minute, but I just thought we should talk about this. It said one might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Do you see that? There was a credit there for a tithe, of a generation that wasn't born, that was living within him. And that's a verse to verify that when Adam sinned, we sinned in 
Adam. Does that make sense somewhat? And what Kevin said is also very true is that if you don't hold true to that, that we sinned in Adam, then how do we become righteous in Christ? And see, the, the problem, even, I'm, not gonna, I'm not here to slam other theologies, that's not my point, but you have to see that if you don't believe that, you can see that they've built other theologies around that problem. For example, when infants die, have they sinned? No, they haven't sinned in themselves, but why do they die? They die because they sinned in Adam. They were born with a sinful nature, and the sin of Adam was held accountable to them. The good news is, I can prove to you through Scripture that all infants are in heaven. All infants are in heaven. That would also disagree with covenant theology, because they, they have a difficult time dealing with infants because of this whole issue of how they account sin to the sinner. And if anybody has questions about infants, I've got a great book by John MacArthur that lays it out scripturally that it very clearly explains all infants are in heaven. And let me tell you this one, because when they come before the seat of judgment, and what are they going to say? What can an infant say? There's no accountability to sin. But we'll go into that. Okay, let me just go through this. Then he goes into uh, 13 14, which is really just an illustration of what we're talking about here, brothers and sisters. Stay with me for a few more minutes. We'll close this out. But it said, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Right? See that? But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Do you see that? So, what's the point here? The point is is that sin was reigning in the world from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. What happened when Moses came? The law came. So all the people, stay with me here, all the people people that sinned in the time of Adam and Moses, it says that it was not counted against them because they didn't have the law. Do you see that? That's what it says up there. But the reality is they still died. And why did they still die? Because of the sin that was in them, their sinful nature, and the sins that was committed by Adam was held account to them. Does that make sense? Okay. No, just a couple applications here. Um, for you to think about. One is I want you to think about the consequences of our sins. I mean, can you believe the consequences that we're still living with because of what Adam did? And I hear so many people thinking that their sins are private, their sins are between them and God. Our sins impact so many people. Can anybody realize that? Loved ones, families broken up. All kinds of things happen when we went, enter into sin. So don't ever be deceived the fact that you think that your sin is private, it's only hurting you, it's between you and God. Your sin is affecting all kinds of people. Just like Adam's waves are still rolling out from the original sin that, that, that he committed. The second application point that I would, I'd like you to think about 
is this reality of death. You know, not physical, spiritual, and eternal death. The, you know, one of the hardships, we'll talk about physical death for a second, is that um, in my previous ministry, marketplace ministry, one of the hardest things we had to do was a, uh, a business owner or a business a marketplace guy would, uh, would die and his wife would call us because he was active in our ministry and we'd go out to meet with the family. And, and you know what? He had done nothing to prepare for his physical death. Everything was in shambles. There was no plan. There was no will. He thought he was going to continue to live on. And, and all the devastation... I've personally seen the devastation that causes a family when someone doesn't realize that they're going to die physically and do the minimal requirements to prepare for that. And you know what? The reason I say that, it, it's a testimony to your family that you love them and you're providing for them. And guys, we typically die first, amen? So, you know, we need to do what the minimal things of a will and some, and some things to get organized for that day because we don't think it's going to come. But believe me, the guys that I've gone to their families, they didn't think it was coming either. And some of them were young men. But the second thing, the, the thing I, I'm asking you to do is, is if we begin each day with the end in mind, now stay with me here, if we begin each day with the end in mind, if we get up with the reality, see, when we get up, let's praise God He's given us another day. I, I'm grateful He's get whatever physical attributes, mental attributes, praise God in the morning that He's given you another day physically. But then also, if you're born again believer, praise, give me Liam, let me have him. Oh, mama's. <laughs> but here's the other one. Hear me on this. But get up each day and realize if you're a born-again believer, you have to praise God that you're spiritually alive. Amen? And brother and sister, if you're sitting here and you're not a believer, you ought to be crying out to God to be saved. Amen? And the third thing is this eternal death. If you're a born-again believer, you get to spend eternity in the presence of our Lord. Do you get fired up about that? See, that's starting the day each day with the end in mind. If, if we know that we... He's given us another day physically. If we know that He saved us spiritually, that we're spiritually alive, and if we know that we're going to spend eternity in heaven, doesn't that drive your day a little differently than if you don't contemplate the end? See, I, that sets my priorities. That makes me want to be gospel-centered. It makes me want to look for divine appointments. It makes me want to share the gospel with the lost world. Don't get deceived into this thing, well, I'm going to live forever. And, and, and you know what I mean? This, if you don't start with that, that vision of the end in mind, you can just go through every day without any purpose for Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just so grateful for the teachings from your word. This first Adam, Lord, and, and the great tragedies you brought upon this world, these are not things you desired. You didn't desire death. You didn't desire sin to enter the world. And you've rightly handled it and the consequences through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For all who believe are delivered from spiritual death to spiritual life. For all who believe are delivered from eternal death to eternal life. Father, I pray for this little body of believers that we would be encouraged, that we keep the end in mind every day. Remember the consequences of our sins are devastating and live rightly before you and also bring the gospel to a lost world. pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.